0: If we take the time to read the scriptures, we will quickly see that the church has always been challenged with false doctrine. False teachers or pretenders seek to gain entrance into the church and corrupt the truth. Today on Drawing Near, we examine a church that mishandled these false teachers and their lies. So take your Bible and turn to the Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 2, and follow along as we study the Church of Pergamos. Before we look at the scriptures, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you, through the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the scriptures, instruct and guide, correct, even discipline your church. We ask, Father, that we today would have our eyes opened, that we would see the potential corruption from outside and within, that we would Know the truth and that we would take a stand against it, Father, your truth is truth, and therefore we can never compromise. We can never allow it to be corrupted. We must know the truth because it is through the truth that we are set free. Help us with our carnal nature that we do not give in to what is easy or convenient, but rather we do what Jude says. We fight for the gospel. We take a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guide and direct us in our study. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, we read, And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And so we see in verse 12 that John once again is writing to the pastor, the messenger of this church in Pergamos. And he says that the words he is writing come from the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. That's Jesus. We see Jesus in chapter 1 with the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. The sharp two-edged sword is the word of God. And so the Lord Jesus is going to deal with doctrine or the teaching of the Word, in Pergamos. Anytime we see something repeated over and over and over again within a brief period of time in the Scripture, it is there for emphasis. Our attention should be drawn to that, and we should highlight what is being said. And that's what we see in verse 13. Once again, the Lord Jesus says, I know your works. We cannot overstate this. Jesus knows and evaluates or judges the work of the body of Christ. He is the head. He is in charge. We are obligated to serve him, to obey him, and to do what he says. And so he says in verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell. In other words, where your church is. Where is that? Where Satan's throne is. The city of Pergamos was an area... That was strongly opposed to the Christian faith, the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church in Pergamos dwelt in this place where Satan, in all of his power and authority, had ramped up the efforts to persecute and to attack the church, to try to squell or eliminate the church altogether in this city. And so Jesus' description of this city was where Satan's throne is. The idea here is that Satan was king here, not the Lord God. But we know the truth is God is king everywhere, but the people of Pergamos did not accept God's rule and reign. They had fallen under the deceit and the deception of Satan. Satan is a fallen angel who rebelled against God's authority. He is real, and he is at work in the hearts and lives, in the circumstances of mankind. He longs to corrupt. Jesus described him as a liar and a thief and a murderer from the beginning. We see him in the Garden of Eden, perverting the truth of God to Eve. And we see him all throughout history doing his work against God, trying to corrupt and distort the truth and destroy the souls of mankind by enslaving them to sin and flesh. He works to establish his kingdom of sin and corruption in the world that God Himself has created and longs to redeem. While dwelling in this city where Satan's throne is, the church of Pergamos held fast to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, did not deny the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, even when one of their own, Antipas, was killed for the cause of Jesus Christ. Even under that kind of intense persecution, the church held true to the faith and to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You would think that after that acknowledgement of their suffering and the hardship of the church of Pergamos, that there wouldn't be anything to say against them. They were remaining true. But in verse 14, we're told, Jesus says, I have a few things against you. Because you have there, it looks like within the church, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Jesus continues by saying, Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Even though this church had faithfully served the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of this intense persecution where Satan's throne is, Jesus still held against them the fact that they allowed false doctrine and corruption into the church. It is never acceptable to compromise the purity of the church. We don't know much about the Nicolaitans, except what we are told here. The Nicolaitans down through history have a reputation of promoting extravagant self-indulgence. In other words, they misuse the grace of God as a way of indulging the flesh in sinful activity. In this passage of Scripture, it's pretty clear that these Balaamites and Nicolaitans were inside the church, and they were participating in sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. It seems there has always been a challenge for the church. When people profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, there is a tendency to allow them some latitude, some freedom in their behavior. We need to be very, very careful, because those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ follow Jesus Christ and his teaching. For the follower of Jesus Christ, there is only one set of doctrines that we follow, and that's the doctrine of Christ. No one is allowed to pervert it or corrupt it. If you are engaging in sexual immorality, according to Romans 1, if you are approving of sexual immorality, there is a problem because Jesus stands firmly against sexual immorality. We cannot use the grace of God as a license or a freedom to sin. The true follower of Jesus Christ hates sin, hates the deeds of sinners. That's what Jesus says in the letter to Ephesus and in this letter. He hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans, these who indulge the flesh contrary to the teaching of God's word. We must be led by the Spirit and not led by the flesh. Accepting or approving people who live together outside of marriage, people who engage in fornication and adultery, in homosexuality, these things are wrong. They're sinful. And when they're permitted to come inside the church, they corrupt the church and Jesus says, I hold this against you. And there are areas in which we are uncertain of the black and white. They might appear to some to be a little gray. The eating of meat sacrificed to idols was one of these areas in the New Testament. And you can read Paul's discussion of this. But what Paul clearly says is, if eating meat sacrificed to idols puts a stumbling block or causes my weaker brother to sin, I will not eat meat. And that's what we're told at the end of verse 14. Balaam taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. We need to be careful in all that we do not to cause other believers to stumble. We do have some Christian liberty in some things, but exercising that Christian liberty could cause somebody else to fall into sin, and we need to be careful about that. We are our brother's keeper. And then finally, in verse 16, we're told, "Repent." or else I will come quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In other words, you'd better deal with this. You'd better turn from your tolerance and your acceptance of this sinful behavior, and you'd better correct this, or I'm going to come and correct it myself. I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What Jesus is calling the church to do here is to handle their own business. Call these people to repentance. Repent of your acceptance? But call these people to repentance, or remove them from the church, or else Jesus is going to do it himself. And then we have these final words in verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're capable of listening, listen and obey. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. To the one who endures, to the one who perseveres, I will give that individual to eat of the hidden manna. It's a reference to eternal life, to be sustained spiritually. When it comes to I will give him a white stone and on the stone, a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. The color white regularly represents purity, holiness. But other than that, I'm not sure anyone really knows what this stone represents. It seems to be a reference to security, but the idea that you're going to get a new name written on it, which no one knows except him who receives it, that's mysterious for us. And it's one of those things that we look forward to in heaven. Clearly, it's a reference to the one who overcomes, is going to be safe and secure, and receive the benefits of eternal life, even some of the hidden benefits. That we don't fully understand. But the call here is to stand against false doctrine, stand against false teaching, deal with these things so that Jesus doesn't have to come and deal with them in a much more severe manner. Call people to repentance. And those who overcome, those who endure, will be blessed by the Lord God. Father, I'm sorry for the compromise that seems to take place in the church. It's difficult for us to confront those that we love and care about with their sin. We don't want to come across as judgmental or holier than thou, but at the same time, we represent the holiness and the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to hold up that standard and call people to live by it. Father, give us help. Give us courage and strength to do this. Help us to, in love, reach out to those who are in sin sharing the gospel, and teaching them to observe all things that Christ has commanded us. Lord, we want you to be pleased with your church. Guide and direct us in all these things, and protect us from sin within ourselves. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for studying with us today. You can subscribe to these podcasts on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or the Facebook page Drawing Near. Drawing Near is a ministry of FBC Tip City, provided with the hope that we will draw near to God and He will draw near to us.